welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter five as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew the Savior King and His Kingdom. And last week, we finished the Beatitudes. So we took our time, went through it. Um, I, I loved it. I, I, I got a lot out of it. So thank you for being patient with me while I took my time going through the Gospels, through the Beatitudes. Now we're going to move on um, to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what we got. We've the, the, the Beatitudes were the opening um, of or the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to go on and continue in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this day. We thank you, Lord God, um, for this day where we're going to take, uh, take a time um, today um, as as we always do every year on this on this particular Sunday, and and acknowledge mothers and and Lord, uh, you know, as we as we are here, uh, we we come with different emotions and different feelings and different um, remembrances of mothers, either good or bad, sad or happy. And Lord, um, we know Lord, that you know what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, meet us right where we are in that. But Lord, for this next few minutes, next short time, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you would say to your church. Lord, um, there's, there's important things that we need to know. And, and we need to not just know them, we need to believe them. And not just believe them, we need to do them. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that as we, as we um, live in this world that is growing darker and darker by the moment. Lord, we need, to, we need to hear what you have to say in this brief text today. And we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to look at um, a couple of verses, the verses 13 through 16 this morning of Matthew 5. And before we do that, um, we're gonna, what we're going to be looking at is two um, similitudes. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. I should, probably should have looked up how to actually pronounce that word. Um, I don't use it every day in a sentence, so, you know. But a similitude is a figure of speech in which two essentially unlike things are compared often in a phrase introduced by like or as. And so we're going to read our text, and then we're going to look at these two similitudes. Some, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Just go with me on it, okay? And then we'll talk about it, because I'm not going to use that word again, so just know that. We're, over, we're past it. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 16 is pretty, pretty uh, familiar to us. We're going to go through it each verse, verse by verse and look at them. But Jesus is going to compare believers to two everyday things, salt and light. Two things that, that everybody, both you know, 2,000 years ago and today, we know what they are. We, they're still common things, right? Everybody knows what light is. Everybody knows what salt is. We, you know, that's a you know, pretty common thing both then and now. And so we're going to be, begin with the first one, and that's salt. So we'll read verse 13 again. You believers, he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt lose its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Meaning that you can't make it salty again. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In the time of Christ, salt was a precious commodity, um, they, 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 it was often traded and sometimes even used for currency. They're, they're, the Roman soldiers were sometimes um, paid in salt. And that's where, that's where the phrase worth his salt comes from. It's, a, it's an idiom that we still use today. When we say somebody's worth their salt, that means they're, they're of value. They're, 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 you know, they're worth whatever it is that you're paying them. The word that was used um, for paying these Roman soldiers was the word salarium from which we get the word salary. So it's all, all these things. We, we, you know, the Bible says a lot about a lot of things that we don't even recognize that it's, that it's going on. So it's still valuable. Salt is still valuable. It's still something we see. You, know, you can even buy fancy salt, you know, you know, you know, you know, pink Himalayan salt and things like that, which makes no sense to me, but that's all right. We have some, I, 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 and it's actually good stuff. Sorry, that was a whoop. We're going to look at three basic applications of salt and apply it to our lives as believers. And so there is a number of ways that salt is used. And, and the first one is for preservation. In the time of Christ, salt was one of the primary ways to preserve meat because they didn't have refrigerators. And, and, and so one of the things they would do is to preserve meat because you know, you're living in a place without refrigeration and in a, in a, a warm climate, a meat's going to spoil very quickly. And so one of the things they would do is they would salt the meat. And, and it was very common. As a matter of fact, it was commonly done up until the 20th century. It's still done today, though it's not as commonly as it was up until fairly recently in history. The world that we live in today is not great in many ways. The reason why salt was, is applied to meat is to slow down decay. Because if you don't salt the meat in that time, in, that, in those climates, it would decay very quickly. And so you'd apply the salt, and salt would, would slow decay down dramatically. And, and you could get, and rather than you know, getting just days, you can get months out of meat if you salt it. Our world is tending towards decomposition. It is in a state of decay. 
you know, here we are on Mother's Day, and I was just listening to a podcast this morning on the way in, and, and they're talking about, you know, abortion again. You know, the, you know, taking of a human life. And, you know, and, and there, are, there are people in our society, in our culture, that believe that women should have the right, the right to do that right up until the moment of birth. It's not right. It's messed up. You know, irreversible mutilation surgeries for children who are confused about their gender. That's not right. That's, that's, that is a society in decay. The fact that we're even talking about it is not good. But the fact there are people that are literally protesting and burning down cities because we don't want to do it, because some people don't want to do it, is a sign that our, our culture, our society is in decay. District attorneys that are protecting criminals more than they are victims. That's, that's not just. It's not right. The world is in a rapid state of decay. The church exists to be a preservative in our culture. We exist as a cult, as it, to be in our culture to, to slow down the decomposition of our culture. We can't stop it. Just like salt can't stop the decomposition of meat, but we can slow it down. And that's what we're called to do, to slow down the decay. And we do it as individuals. We do it as churches. We do it as families. Maybe you've experienced something like this. I've been, at times, I've been around unbelievers. I've been around unbelievers who know that I'm a Christian, and, and it's interesting how often, you know, they, they will, they'll, they'll say something and then they'll apologize. Oh, 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 wait, sorry. I, I, you know, I, sorry about that. They'll look at me. Sorry about that. Like, okay, I, I said nothing. Just my presence said something to them. You know, I've noticed some of them will even restrain themselves in the way that they speak. They'll, they maybe will, you know, maybe start a story or start a joke, but then stop themselves. Well, wait a minute, okay, that one's, that one's not gonna work with Rick here. It's not gonna be so funny with Rick here. My presence is affecting their behavior. Now, what is it about my presence that is affecting them? And here's what it is. Now, don't misunderstand what I say when I say this next part. It's my holiness that is affecting them. Now, I'm not saying I'm holy. I'm not saying I'm perfect. What I'm saying is that because I'm a believer, I am holy. Based on my relation with Christ, God says that I am holy. Now, the, understanding, the way we understand the word holy is, is it means to be separated from. The reason why my presence affects them because I, they know that I'm not a part of them. I'm not like them. I'm separated from them by my faith. I, I, am, I am set aside or set apart for something else. And ultimately, I'm set apart for God. And so my life, the more of my life that is set apart for God, the more holy I am. And that's what God calls us to. He calls us to be, to be in the world, but not of the world. We call to be in the world and to be salty in the world, or to, to, to influence the world in a way just by our presence, just by being there present in the world that they know something is different about you. You're not, okay, you're here with us, but you're not really of us. You're, you're different than us. 
and you're affecting us in a way, maybe not in a way that we prefer or desire or happy about, but you are affecting us. That's our holiness. And the greater our holiness is, the more set apart we are, the more parts of our life that are set apart to God for Christ to do his will rather than our will or the will of others, the more our life will affect those around us, the more salty our life becomes. And the more it adds that preserving effect. And we do it as individuals, we do it as families, we do it as churches. This is one of the reasons why the world doesn't like us so much because they don't like the taste you know, some people, I love salt, but you know, some people don't like that, the taste of a Christian, the, 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 the flavor that we add, which is actually the next, the next thing that we do. We, we, see, our presence is going to do something around people. It's going to affect them. It should affect them. And if it doesn't affect them, we need to ask ourselves the question, how salty am I? How holy am I? If, if I can be around a bunch of unbelievers and they can't they, don't, they can't tell that I'm a believer in some way, then I, I may not be as holy as I should be. The second, the second thing that salt does is it adds flavor. Now, anybody, anybody like the taste of salt? I do. As a matter of fact, we put salt on almost everything. You know, unless you've got, you know, a, you know heart issues and you have to go to super bland foods, we all like salt. All of us do. It adds flavor to it. It's, if it's not the most common spice in the world, it's right up there as one of the most common spices in the world. Believers ought to add flavor to whatever they touch. Everything we touch, everything we're around, every, every place we go, we ought to be adding flavor. What flavor? The flavor of God. The flavor of truth, the flavor of holiness. People ought to sense something. You know, if you put salt on something, it's hard to hide it, right? If you put too much salt on it, you really can't hide it. But you can, all it takes is just a pinch, doesn't it? In some things, just put a pinch of salt in there and it changes the flavor of it. The same thing we do. We just go out there, we just be. You don't have, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, pour out the whole shaker on somebody. You just go, you just be there. And it will add something. It should be adding something to them. How do we do that? We do that through love. We do it through generosity and graciousness and mercy and forgiveness and honesty and integrity. Every, just being believers, being what the Beatitudes said we should be, the, you know, the character traits of a, of a believer. If we're just doing those things, being those things, it adds to the, the flavor, it adds to our culture. It helps them to see God in a way that is good and right. Now, they may not like it, but that's, that's not our problem. Our problem is just to be. They need to see Christ in us. The third thing that salt does is it stimulates thirst. You know, if you eat, eat very much salt, before long, you're, you're, you're looking for something to drink. It's just how salt works. Salty Christians, when we, are, when we are striving towards the holiness of Christ, trying to be like Christ as we live out the Beatitudes, we should, we should be creating a thirst for the things of God. 
They should be desiring more and more God because of our lives. It doesn't take a lot of salt to make its presence known. So too with, so too with believers. You don't need to be, you know, some super spiritual, you know, memorize the book of Romans, you know, can preach a sermon, you know, on a moment's, none of those things. You just need to be the best Christian you that you can be. You just let God do that work in you, and it's going to have an influence on those around you. That's what, that's what we're called to do. That's what this text is telling us that we ought to do, that we ought to be. Just be salty. Just live out your holiness to the best way you know how. And then try to be more salty. Try to be more holy. Just let God do that work in you to lead you into deeper and deeper holiness, more, more commitment, uh, giving him more areas of your life, you know, your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, your, you know, all the different things that you do, every single part of it, the more of it you give to God, you give over to him. You set that part of your life and say, okay, that part is not about me, now it's about God. The more li- of your life you give to God, the, the, you know, the more that holiness starts to permeate your life, and then once it permeates your life, it starts to permeate from your life. And that's what we want. That's the part that the world will notice. When it becomes real inside of you, then it'll start radiating out of you into the world around you. Just be salty. And then he talks about, you know, once salt loses its flavor, what's it good for? In, in that time and culture, if salt loses its flavor, they would throw it out in the street. They would, they would throw it out in the street and allow it to be trampled as people walked by, and what that would do is it would, it would kill, you know, whatever was left of the, you know, the, the nature of the salt would kill any plant life or anything on the pathway. So it becomes a, a way of just kind of keeping the roads clear of, of things. That's the only thing it was good for. It's a warning to us that if we are so like the world that it can't tell the difference between us and, and what, you know, what a Christian ought to be, they can't tell that we are believers, then you're not salty. And uh, what use are you at that point? Living out the Beatitudes through the working of the Holy Spirit is what will make us salty. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to be living these things out, learning how to set our lives more and more aside for the work of Christ, allowing the holiness of Christ to manifest in us more and more. As we do that, we become saltier and saltier and saltier. And, and you know, as in all the case, there's going to be a point where, you know, some people are going to be attracted to that and others are going to be repelled by that. That's not our problem. Our problem is to be salty. Our part is to be salty and to allow God to bring us in that place. That brings us to the second one of these uh, comparisons. I promise not to use that word. It's in my notes, but I'm not going to use it. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. This this one's an interesting one because of something that Jesus is going to say later on. In John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. But in John, he's saying, I am the light of the world. Now, if Jesus said it in both places, which one of them is true? 
Both of them, thank you. I know you were thinking it, even though some of you didn't say it. You were thinking it. Both of them are true. Now, now it's one of the things, kind of the interesting comparison is where and when Jesus made that statement in John 12. At that time Christ, of Christ, the time of Christ, there was a ceremony that took place every year in, at the temple, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and it was called the Illumination of the Temple. And what it included was involved the, the lighting of four massive candelabra. So these, these massive structures with had a huge reservoir of, of oil on top, and they would light these fires, and it would, it would illuminate the whole Temple Mount and, and literally could be seen for miles around Jerusalem. The, the ceremony celebrated the, the, the pillar of fire that showed up in the Exodus. Remember in the Exodus, you remember, you remember this, the pillar of fire. Um, and the beginning of the Exodus, as, as, the, as the Hebrews are coming out of Egypt, and they're at the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptians are coming in, they're coming after them, they're going to destroy them, but the, but the pillar of fire comes down in between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Um, and then after, the, after the, they get across the Red Sea, this pillar of fire then, then leads them through the wilderness and, and stays over them throughout the time of the wilderness. It kind of hover over them and move with them or move ahead of them whenever they were there. And it symbolized, at the very least, it symbolized God's presence with them. Uh, symbolized other things as well. It symbolized protection and guidance. And so John, in John 8, 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, took place on the day after the ceremony of illumination of the temple. And so what Jesus is saying, it's a, it's, it's a pretty straightforward and kind of bold thing for Jesus to say. He's proclaiming that he was the pillar of fire. He was there with them, protecting them, guiding them, providing a, a, a pathway for them. He was present with them for the 40 years. A pretty bold thing for him to say. So he was, he's the light. Jesus is the light. Now, in reality, he just then goes on to say that you are the light, saying to believers, you are the light. But we have to acknowledge the reality that there is no light in us. That they're, in and of ourselves, we have no light. Left to our own devices, without Christ, we would be as dark and evil as the rest of the world around us. Oh, not me, pastor. Yeah, okay. Yes, you would. We all would. Me too. Something changes within us once we receive Christ, once we're saved. Christ's light shines out from us. It is in us, and it shines out from us. Yeah, an illustration of this is Jesus is, is like the sun. When the sun is up, the world can see by its light, right? And we acknowledge that. If you go outside, you can see. Why can you see? Because the sun is up. Well, what happens when the sun goes down? Well, you can't see by the sun. So once the sun goes down, once the sun sets, as when Jesus ascended, in a spiritual sense, the sun, the sun set, then the moon comes out and illuminates, and we can see somewhat by 
the moon. The moon doesn't have any light. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. The amount of light that is, that is touching or, or hitting the moon is reflected down to us for us to see. If the moon is full, it is, it is experiencing the full effects of the sun, or we're seeing it, and, you know, the earth is not blocking it from the sun. We can see it, and we can, we, if it's a full moon, we might even be able to see our way pretty well by it. You know, depending on the, the phase of the moon is going to determine how much light is actually being reflected down to the earth. As Christians, if we expose more and more of our life to Christ, to his word, to his truth, to his ways, the more of his light is reflected off of our lives that people can see it, the more of our life, the more time we spend with Christ and being exposed to him, the more of his light shines out. One example of that, we have that in scripture, is, is Moses. If you, if there was a time in, in the, when he you know, had this encounter with God, face to face with God, whatever that means, whatever that looked like, but afterwards he came out and his face glowed with the radiance and the glory of God. And, it, and it, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It happened several times, repeatedly. Same thing is true for us. Now, it's not going to be, a, a, typically, it's not going to be some, you know, visible thing. But if, we spend, if we're spending time with Christ, when the world sees us, they're going to see something. They're going to see some light as a result of it. Now, light, one of the, one of the, the, the um, illustrations or the uh, comparisons that we see of light is truth. One of the ways that people see the light of Jesus Christ is by truth. That means when, we're, when we know the truth, when we believe the truth, when we live the truth, the world sees it. That's the light that people are gonna see in our lives. Where do we find truth? Hold up your Bible. Okay, don't have to hold it up, but, you know, because I don't want you to lose your place. You don't hold your phone up. Yeah. Sorry. As we expose our lives, as we, as we allow the things like the Word of God to, 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 to fill us, there's a spiritual thing that happens that, that, then is, that is then reflected back out into the people around you. We all know that. We all, all of us can probably relate to some time where, where we spent time in the word of God and, and, then, and then you know, later in that day or something, you know, something came up and, and whatever, it was that we, whatever it was that we were getting out of the word of God somehow comes out of us. We're not even thinking about it, it just, it just happens. We'll say something, or it affects the way we say something, and that's just coming out of us. And that's, and that's, what, that's, what, he's, that's, that's what he's trying to say. If you want to reflect more of Christ, which you say, I do, Pastor, I want to reflect more of Christ, well, then we need, to, we need to be, he needs to be shining into our lives. The more and more he, he shines into our lives, the more of our life that is exposed to him, either through the word or through prayer or through fellowship with our believers or service or worship or whatever, whatever the many different ways that we can experience Christ, as we do that, it has an effect upon us. And that effect upon us will be seen out in the world around us. They may, again, they may not understand it. They may not be able to describe it to you, but it's there. 
It's having an influence. Just like when the moon is shining down on the earth, the earth, you know, may not, you know, most of the earth doesn't even pay any attention to it, right? It's just there. They're, they see the light. They're, they're exposed to the light. They're, they're walking in that light, but they don't really, they're not really, you know, paying that much attention to it. We reflect the light of Christ just by being. Again, it's not about some specific act. It's just be who you are. Be the light. You are the light. Just be the light. And you do that as we walk in things like the Beatitudes. One of the things that we need to understand, um, Christ lives in us, right? Christ is in us in Colossians 1.27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we live our lives out in Christ, one of the things that we project out into the world is just the hope of glory, the, the reality that Christ lives in me, he's in me, and that, and that, that I have this hope in heaven. It, it affects the way that I live my life. Even if the words don't come out of my mouth, it affects the way that I live. And the, because it affects the way that I live, it, it shines God's light out into the lives around, around me. And the more I do that, the better it is. We ought to live out these beatitudes. We ought to live out these truths of the things of God. And the more we do that, the more of Christ's light shines out from us. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness. That's Paul speaking. Who's he talking to? Believers. Believers, you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. So this reality that we are children of light, now we need to make a choice to walk in the light. And we walk in the light by doing the things that God's word says, by, by allowing God's word to minister to us, allowing the, the things, of, the, the spiritual things that we do, the, thing, the things that we, you know, we kind of practice on a regular basis. We show up at church, we serve, we, you know, fellowship, all these different things that we do in the name of Christ. As we do those things, they have an effect upon us and they, they call us to walk in a, a particular way. And as we do that, you know, again, the light of Christ is shining out from us. Jesus says we are lights to the world. I've always been fascinated by things that glow in the dark. Little quick thing about Rick. I don't understand the science that makes those things work. But there's certain things, if you expose them to light and then shake them out of the light, they glow in the dark. And I think, I just like, every time I see it, I'm like, man, it's just so cool. I don't get weird, I don't get weird about it. But I just look at it and say, well, how, how cool is that? For a glow-in-the-dark object to work, it must be exposed to light. And the more light it's exposed to, the more it glows in the dark. And so as believers, that's, what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be exposed to the light so that when we go out into the darkness, we glow. With what glow? The glow of the light of Jesus Christ. We need to be exposed to the light and we need to go out into the darkness. We need to take the light of Jesus Christ out 
into the darkness. You know, you know, God nowhere in the Bible says, you know what, you just ought to create a little Christian commune. You know, you ought to isolate yourself from the world. Nowhere. Nowhere. You know, we all, you know, y'all ought to be monks and nuns. Nope. That's not, that, that's not anywhere in the Bible. The Bible says we as believers are the light to the world. What part of the world? The dark world. Anywhere where it's darkness, God's calling us out to that place. But one of those glow-in-the-dark objects, you know what happens once you take it out of the light and take it into the darkness? It starts to fade. It starts to fade. And if it's out in the darkness long enough, you know what happens? It produces just as much light as the rest of the world. It's a warning to us that we as believers need to keep exposing ourselves to the light. You know, I, you know as a pastor... I recognize that, you know, life is what life is. Life takes people in different directions, different, you know, abilities to, to, you know, to do the things, the spiritual things that I think are important. I believe the Word of God says are important, but sometimes they can't do it like I do it. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> but it, it, it concerns me when somebody just doesn't seem to have time to do these things. Because the, the image I have, this idea, this glow-in-the-dark image, if you're not being exposed to the things of God, if you're not exposing yourself to the Word of God, we tell you, gosh, how many times have we said, read your Bible every day? We say it like all the time. Not all the time, but pretty close to all the time. We're saying, hey, pray, interact with God on a spiritual level. Talk with God through prayer. Read his word. Listen to teachings. You know, serve him in some way. Give to him in some way. All these things that we do are ways that we expose ourselves to the light of Jesus Christ so that we can carry that light out into the darkness. You know, a glow-in-the-dark object doesn't benefit from the from the glowing in the dark. It doesn't benefit from that. It's a tool. Same thing is true for us. The more we are exposed to the light of Jesus Christ, the more brightly we glow or shine in the darkness. And the longer we are exposed to the darkness or out of Christ's light, the dimmer we become. That's why we need to regularly be recharged. We need to be in, back in the light again so that we can, we can be ready for that darkness again. You know, the, the important thing we need to get out of this is that, or we need, one of the things we need to see in this is that you only need light if there's darkness. If there was no darkness, we wouldn't need light. You know, we're gonna, there's a time when we get to the the the, the millennial kingdom or the eternal kingdom, I don't remember which one now, but you know, the millennial kingdom where, where you know, it says that there is no need for the sun or the moon. No need for the sun or the moon. Why? Because there's no darkness. Because God is our light and he will drive out all of the darkness. We won't need to be light then. I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You know, we are not lights. We are not the light of Jesus Christ just to be lights. 
You know, just going to say, I am a light of Jesus Christ. No, that's not, that's not why you're a light. You're a light so that you can go out into the darkness because the darkness needs to be, needs the light. There are people out in the darkness need to see the light. And, you know, and, and some are going to hate the light. We know that. But there are some who need to see it, who, who, who will respond to the light. And because we don't know who is going to respond, who should we shine our light on? Everybody. We let our light shine to everyone. We need to go. We need to be that. We can't hide our light. And so we can't, we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We can't isolate ourselves from the darkness. We need to be out among it. Wherever God would lead us. If God's going to lead us out someplace, we need to go. I don't believe that as believers that we should be running away from the darkness. You know, and we, and we see that, you know, we, you know, California, you know, one of the things I say, you know, this, the exodus from California, you know, and it's not all believers that are leaving, you know, some people are leaving because it's just a miserable place to live in some areas. We're doing, we're, we're pretty blessed right here. Somebody say amen. We're pretty blessed in this area. But there are some areas in this, in this state that are just miserable places to live. They're terrible places to live, which is just grieves my spirit because I used to, I can remember a time in my life where I would travel around and people would say, you live in California? Oh man, how cool is that? Not anymore. Not anymore. They can say it about Murrieta or, you know, or Menifee. We can't, we can't run away from the darkness. You know, and, you know, people have left. I mean, there may be somebody watching who's left California for whatever reason. You know, it's not my place to judge. I don't think God, if God's calling you out, go. You know, that's, you know, I can see that. You know, I, I've said it here. Kelly would love, Kelly would love to be in Texas right now. Yeah, maybe, I don't know where. I, I, don't, I can never tell because she's, she, you know, she loves her chickens and pig and goat. She, I don't know what, she, I don't know what she's thinking. Anyways, you know, but, you know, I've said it as, you know, as long as the church is here, I'm staying, you know, until they, until they vote me out, which every board meeting I have to wonder about that. But <clears throat> no, I do not. Listen, yes, this place is a dark place. And, 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 the, and, and the darker it gets, the more it needs the light. And you know, it doesn't need a bright light. The feeblest of lights will illuminate the darkness. Have you ever noticed that? Take one little candle. Take a, take a birthday cake candle into a dark room and you can see by it. Maybe not well, but there's, there's no one in that room that won't notice it, that won't see it. Be the light. You know, just in case that the purpose of being light is not clear to us, Jesus makes it clear to us here in this last verse. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why, do, why must we be a light? So that the glory of God can be seen in the world around us. To show the glory of God. The, the two words let and shine in that verse, the beginning of that verse, are actually one Greek word. And it's in the imperative, which you Bible class students will know, is a command. It's a command to let your light shine. We don't have a, we, we don't have a choice. Well, we, we, can, we, can always, we always have a choice. But if you want to be a Christ follower, you don't really have a choice. You're supposed to let your light shine. If you don't let your light shine, 
what are you being? Uh, disobedient is the word you're thinking of, or rebellious. God says, let it shine. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever way that you're doing it. And he tells us how it's manifested, the way that, that our light shines is by good works. When, it, when we're doing the good works of God, those things that, that God calls us to do, the things that God's word says we ought to do, those things that are good and right and just and holy, then we are letting our light shine. When we are, when we are expressing God's love and compassion and care in the world, we are letting our light shine. As we live out these beatitudes and do these good works that are just the right thing to do, they don't have to be some grand thing. They don't have to be organized. They don't have, just, just do what is good and right. Wherever you are, in your marriage, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your, in your church, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, do what is good and right. And if you're doing that, your light is shining. And the Bible tells us some will be offended by that. They'll be offended if you do good works. Because the, the Bible tells us that the world hates the light. Hates it. And the word that's used there is an ugly hate. And we can see that. We're seeing that more and more. People who are doing good or calling for good or, or, or speaking good are, are being hated. Even though what we're expressing is love and kindness and goodness. They're going to interpret it as hate. And, and brothers and sisters, I wish I could say that it's going to get better. Bible says something else completely different. It says it's not going to get better. But we're still called to be light. And then as we do that, as we, as we study the Beatitudes, they, they do something not just in the world, but in us as well. As we live out these, these Beatitudes, the world is affected by our saltiness, by our, our, our light. And if we, if we live and believe the Beatitudes and the other commands in Scripture, the other things, that, the other truths that Bible is calling us to, then we will be blessed. We will, we'll, we will know God's approval, that we are approved by God, and something that's attached to that approval is a kind of happiness that only God can give, a kind of joy that can only be experienced as you walk in faith in Christ. By being salty, we hold back the decay that is going on in this world. Brothers and sisters, you got to know something. If we weren't in the world, this world would be horrible. I mean, it's bad now. I can't imagine what it would be like if the church wasn't here. There's a time coming. There's a time coming when the church is going to be taken out. And the Bible says very clear, it's then that the world goes absolutely insane. It goes all the way dark. We hold back the corruption. Our very presence adds flavor, the flavor of God to everything we touch. Everything we're involved with, the flavor of God is added to just by our presence, just by being there. 
if we do more than that, if we're doing good, we're doing all these other things, we're just adding that much more to it. And when we live out these beatitudes, some of those around us will become thirsty for God. That's our desire. We want them to see the glory of God and desire it. As we walk in the light of Christ and do those good works of care and compassion and all the things that we see you know, God calling us to, they're gonna see the light. And for many, for some, it will lead them to their Savior. And maybe we'll even be given the opportunity to invite them to meet their Savior. If we're given the opportunity, we should take it. As we bask in Christ's perfect light, we will become more salty and we will glow that much brighter just by our presence, just by our exposure to him, and then his light will shine out from us. Our part is to soak up as much of Christ as we possibly can, as often as we can, and then to go out into the darkness, to go boldly out into the darkness with confidence that our God can, can protect us, he can guide us, he can provide for us, he can preserve us, he will preserve, he's gonna do all those things. We have to be confident all that's gonna happen. You go out into the darkness and trust that God is gonna be there with you every step of the way. His word to you, be salty. Glow in the dark, Christians today and every day. And you do that by soaking up as much of Jesus as you possibly can. Get as close to him as you possibly can. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.